0: Let's turn now to uh, God's Word. We're going to be reading from chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. You can follow along on the screen, or you can read along in your own Bible. This is the Word of the Lord. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For from a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, For he who has said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become the transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we pray for the next few minutes it would convict and challenge and comfort um, all according to our needs. We pray that our lives would be more deeply ordered around your gospel. We pray that in your son's name. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, uh, Matt Boffy uh, shared with us from uh, James chapter one. Uh, he said a, a famous passage uh, that we should be not only hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. Uh, that means that we should be not only people who read books and know our Bibles and uh, can say uh, things about scripture and theology, but that we need to be people who apply in really deep, uh, powerful ways scripture into our lives. And so James takes that idea and he unpacks it over a couple chapters. Uh, Nate uh, looked at last week how God, uh, what it looks like for us to be doers of the law as individuals. And uh, this week, we're going to look at what it looks like for a community to be a doer of the law. I mean, it's not just individuals, but what does it look like for a whole church and a whole community to be um, somebody who's committed to applying uh, scripture in our lives? So James kind of walks us through three different uh, 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 aspects of this. Um, What does it look like for a church to uh, fail at being a doer of the law? What does it look like for a church to uh, keep the law? And then what's our motivation, our inspiration for all of this? So we're going to be kind of following James along uh, through the passage. And so we'll start in that order. What does it look like for a church to actually fail at keeping uh, the law? And what James tells us is is, uh, interesting. He says that when you practice favoritism, you are failing the law. This is what he says in verse 1. When James is describing uh, uh, favoritism, he gives us a picture of it, and he says that there is a, a rich man who comes into a community, somebody who uh, maybe has some privilege in their society, somebody who has some name recognition, somebody who has who's an influencer um, outside of this little circle, and then you have a poor man with uh, shabby clothing, probably nobody knows him. And uh, what ends up happening is that the, the rich man is, is treated better. He's given attention. Uh, he's shown importance, while the poor man uh, is, um, is ignored or even told to be a, a servant to the rest of the community. And this is a, a little picture of, of what uh, James is telling us favoritism looks like. And if you're thinking about favoritism uh, being a problem in the church uh, or a church, um it probably wouldn't rank very high on most people's lists. In fact, if we were kind of to brainstorm, what are ways that an entire community could break God's law collectively? uh, Favoritism probably wouldn't be up there. And uh, we could think of things about nasty power struggles and, and really slanderous rumors that get circulated and... Other things, but favoritism's not in there. In fact, I, I'd say a lot of us don't even think it's a, a, a sin. It's more of a sociological problem. It's kind of an unhealthy community, or, or maybe it's just not being tactical. Uh, but James pushes against this kind of sentiment, and he tells us, uh, really, in verses 9 and 10, let me read this to you. If you show partiality, or if you show favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. But whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So what James is telling us is that not only is favoritism a sin, it's not only violating one of the laws, but it's actually kind of an ultimate sin. And in some way, you have established yourself uh, as a lawbreaker. You could kind of think of it as, you know, in in the courts of heaven, uh, we are criminals to God when we practice favoritism. And so it's a big deal. And the reason, it's, of course, it's a big deal is because the law is a reflection of God's character. Uh, the law uh, gives us a picture of who God is. It's not only how we live, but it's who God is, his heart, his values, uh, what he's doing in the world. And God doesn't practice favoritism. He doesn't show partiality. He, he doesn't say there's, there's one kind of um, uh, a class or race or um, uh, temperament even or, or anything else that he prefers over another. Really, he, he judges people fairly. He judges us by the merits of our own work. And uh, if you uh, call yourself a Christian, he judges you by the merits of Christ. Uh, and so this is, this is an issue that uh, allows us to see really into God's heart as much as how we're supposed to live. But a question that comes up with favoritism, and, and this is something that I've wondered for myself, and I've heard uh, you all over the years uh, bring this kind of question up. And that is, what is the difference between favoritism and friendship? Because they kind of look a lot alike, right? So favoritism is showing attention and importance to somebody, according to James. And yet friendship is really showing attention and importance to somebody. So how do we tell the difference between the two, especially as we're wanting to be people who are doers of God's law? Well, James tells us in uh, verse 4, he gives us a little clue of, of how to uh, see, see the differences between the two. He says this, after describing the, the rich and the poor man scenario, he says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So evil thoughts and uh, distinctions. Distinctions, we're, we're, we're separating out two kinds of people. There's two almost kind of classes of people. And the evil thoughts are, we have a uh, kind of a, a contemptuous attitude towards uh, some of them. We're we're kind of condescending towards some of them, uh, while the others we're really excited to have in our community. And uh, the way we can tell the difference between friendship and favoritism is whether contempt is uh, motivating uh, our, our attitude and our actions towards a certain group of people. Contempt is re- where it really all starts, uh, and that is because Contempt is, is, at its core, it's taking away the rights and privileges that allow for fair treatment to someone, right? Uh, the, the reason we treat people unfairly is because in some way we think they don't have rights that afford them fair treatment. In fact, some of the worst atrocities in history have all begun when there were uh, philosophical and legal uh, changes in the rights of a certain group. And as soon as that happened, then really evil bad things happen. And that's what happens in our own communities as well, and even our, our own uh, relationships. Um, and James is saying that uh, these poor people, the attitude of the church was probably they didn't have a right to be treated well. Uh, they didn't have a right to be noticed, and uh, but other people did have these sorts of, of privileges. So to help kind of frame it for our own context, uh, there's different ways we can be introspective and think, but, you know, one thing I was thinking about was, you know, if, if, Part of favoritism expresses itself through attention and uh, what kind of attention we're giving to somebody. One kind of helpful introspective question we can ask for ourselves is who are we spending our Friday nights with? Friday night is the best night of the week. It's the end of the work week. Uh, it's not like Saturday night or Sunday night where you have to wake up for something, right? It's, it's a late night. It's fun. It's, it's always with people. And it's kind of, it's, it's, we give our, our best attention to people on Friday nights. So who do we have over for our Friday nights? Uh, who are we not having over? And I bet if you're like me, there might be some names, there might be some faces, there might even be kind of a group of people or a class of people that we think to ourselves, I just never have people over on our Friday nights." And, uh, you know, this, this leads to our second point, which is, we fail at, at uh, keeping God's law. We show favoritism, but how are we actually supposed to uh, practice God's law as a community? And this will, uh, this will be a, a little more illuminating as far as some of the friendship stuff. And uh, uh, James tells us two things. Uh, we practice uh, God's law by each of us holding to faith in Christ. This is what he says in, in verse one. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Uh, so what James is telling the church and uh, replies to us as well is that uh, each of us, it's very critical that each of us has a real walk with God, which we're nurturing. That each of us is believing the gospel. That each of us is uh, coming to know scripture and to love other people. And it's out of this really vital, personal communion with God they're able to actually live as a community of doers of the law. And so it's not enough just for us to say, hey, I had a Christian background. Or it's not enough to, to show up to church or even listen to sermons or be part of a home group on all these things. Uh, each of us has, needs to have a part in our heart where we're saying, I love God and he loves me. And it's out of this vital communion with the Lord that we're able to then be doers of the law. This is, this is kind of the, the meat of, of what James gets into, what it means to be a doer of the law. Uh, he says this in verse 8. If you fulfill uh, the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing very well. And so out of our own relationship with the Lord, we then fulfill as a community this royal law. And uh, James is telling us that the opposite of favoritism is this royal law. So let's dig into this. What is the royal law? Well, uh, why is it called royal? Um, and the reason for this is because it is the, the pinnacle. It's the ultimate, uh, it's the summative uh, expression of God's law for his kingdom. And one of, the, uh, uh, one of the, uh, the main metaphors used throughout Scripture in order to understand God and who he is and what he's doing is that of a kingdom. And so a kingdom has a king, and that king is God, and a kingdom has citizens, and the church is the citizenship of God's kingdom. There's a realm uh, where God rules, the king rules, which is the earth, and of course there's laws. And what we're told here is that this royal law is the main law that God uses to uh, rule and govern and reign his entire kingdom. There have been many nations, many countries throughout the world, throughout history, and yet none of them has this simple law of love one another like you love yourself. Very beautiful. I, I, one of the things I appreciate about it is not only the fact that my conscience is constrained, not by all sorts of um, uh, overly religious rules, but it's constrained by a, a command to love one another uh, but this command, it's, what's uh, wonderful is it not only obligates us, it also teaches us. So not only obligates, but it, it guides us. And so here's, here's how, uh, what it does for us. Sometimes we're in a, uh, a difficult situation uh, where we just don't know how to act. We want to honor God. We, we want to um, figure out a way to love people. We don't know how to actually do that. And what this law reminds us is that we can ask the question, how do I want to be treated? How do I want to be treated? Very simple and yet deeply helpful in breaking through sometimes very complicated situations. And so whether you're processing something for yourself, whether somebody comes to you for advice, how do I want to be treated is a great question to ask. Might wonder though, what is uh, the royal law itself though have to do with favoritism? Uh, James is saying that they broke uh, the law by practicing favoritism. So what what is that connection? It's not immediately obvious. And to appreciate this, we need to to look in the Old Testament. Uh, James did not come up with the royal law, and it's uh, not even unique to the New Testament, but it it comes and flows out of the Old Testament. And uh, its uh, best expression is in Leviticus 19. And Leviticus 19, Moses is uh, commanding Israel. He's telling them uh, what it looks like for them to obey the law in their context. And he ends by saying that everything you need to know can be summed up in this one commandment, love one another as you love yourself. But he gives all these kind of interesting uh, little commandments attached to it that kind of clarify what the royal commandment is. And I'll I'll read a few examples that he has. He says, one thing, if you're a farmer, don't harvest all your crop and leave some for the poor and the sojourner. They're going to come by and they're going to pick it and they're going to eat it. And that's how they're going to be able to um, sustain themselves. He says, if you're an employer... You have some employees who are living paycheck to paycheck. Make sure that you pay them on time so they can pay their bills and not get kicked out of their houses. He says if you're involved in the, in the court system, uh, there are some people who aren't familiar with uh, all the complexity involved with our legal system. And uh, it, it seems to favor some people more than others. So, so make sure that the people who are, who are easy to take advantage of in the court system are being protected and cared for. All of these little examples that Moses gives are driving at the point that the royal law is really meant to extend equity and fairness and care towards people who are easily marginalized uh, or even easily uh, abused. And so we can see why it connects to to favoritism uh, in our passage because uh, uh, the, the favoritism that the church was showing was towards people that were easy to ignore or were easy to uh, to subject and, and uh, um, uh, abuse in, in important ways. So, you know, I, I was uh, uh, talking um, a number of months ago with a pastor in our Presbyterian. He shared some things that were illuminating uh, uh, about this passage, and I'll just, I'll just share with you what he, uh, he ventured. Um, he said that this is really not the only time that James uh, talks about the royal law uh, in this book. Uh, And the other important period in the New Testament when he does is in the the Council of Jerusalem. And I'll give you a little little context for the council. Uh, What had happened was Paul was uh, sharing the gospel and starting churches all over the the Gentile world, all around the Mediterranean. People were coming to faith, and the question was, do you also have to be Jewish to be a Christian, right? And and, uh, Paul's answer is no. It's faith in Christ that qualifies you for the family of Abraham and uh, there's a big council in Jerusalem where people decide that the church is going to try and figure this out and so uh, there's apostles there there's elders there and uh, Paul shows up and he's sharing a story of of what's what's happening Uh, and everybody's like wow all these people are coming to faith it's incredible and then um, guess who is the first to respond to Paul? It's James, the person who wrote our book. And what does James say? Well, he says, we always knew the Gentiles were going to come to faith. The Bible talks about that. And, but then he says, how are we going to treat them? Well, he says something interesting. He says the way the sojourners are treated through the royal law in Leviticus 19 is how we should uh, treat the new Gentiles. right? That there, There's a kind of uh, extension of rights. There's, there's a care, there's a service, there's an inclusivity. Uh, that, that the, the sojourners were showed. And now we're going to also show to, um, uh, to these new Gentile Christians. And this is, this is a, a, a big deal for us um, uh, as New Testament believers, really because uh, we're mostly a, a Gentile church. And it means that the, the basis for our, our coming into uh, the people of God was the fact that the spirit behind the royal law was given to us is that we were seen as being on the outside and now we're invited in. And so what does that mean for us uh, when we uh, think about inviting other people in? And how does that shape our hearts, knowing that we've been first invited in and then asked to share the invitation with others? Well, I want to consider the the last uh, element in our passage, uh, which is uh, where do we find the power and the inspiration to uh, live this out? And uh, two things are are, uh, said. First is that uh, uh, there's new standards that were given as a church to evaluate people. Uh, This is what it says in verses 5 through 7. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? You have dishonored the poor man, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court?" Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Uh, James is telling them that they've been using the wrong standards all along to judge other people. He's saying that the, the people that uh, you, uh, you thought were marginalized are actually really important to us. And In fact, he's saying that they're, they're being judged by their material wealth, uh, but they really need to be judged by their, their spiritual wealth. And the principle behind uh, favoritism is always this. It's that whenever we are showing favoritism towards someone, uh, it's, it's because we're operating out of non-gospel standards. I want to use an example from my own life. Um, when I was uh, in my late 20s, I moved from Colorado to St. Louis. And when I went to St. Louis, I was uh, sort of a uh, Colorado mountain guy, I guess you could say. I, I looked and talked and looked like a Colorado mountain guy. And I found myself in a a community and a culture that was really not like that. I looked around, I thought, these are not my people. And uh, I even thought to myself, maybe they need to change, you know, maybe they need to become a little more like me in some way. And uh, during kind of uh, my time there, God began to work in my heart and do different things. And um, uh, one of the things that began to change was how I treated these people and uh, these people which i didn't really want anything to do with suddenly became curious to me i wanted to get to know them they became interesting to me Uh, and i began to make myself vulnerable to them i was less guarded i took off my mask i let them know things about me that would uh, risk rejection Um, and these people that were not my friends suddenly became my friends in some way. They became part of my my Friday nights, uh, were, were taken up with them, if you will. And I thought to myself, how in the world does this happen? How does a Colorado Mountain guy uh, become friends with a bunch of people who aren't uh, like that? And, um, and I was looking for answers. And I was in church one day, and I was um, sitting, uh, I was standing in the back, and I had kind of my shoulder against the wall, and I was kind of looking out and um, looking at things. And, um, and uh, uh, I remember thinking to myself, what in the world is going on here? And you've got uh, white people and you've got black people in this room. You've got rich people and you've got poor people. And you've got uh, liberals and conservatives and every other kind of distinction uh, that you could find in a society is now in this room sitting next to each other in a way that seems like there's kind of some harmony between all these groups. And I thought, I've seen this my whole life, but I'm now just seeing it. How is this? Well, I look past the heads of everyone, and I look further into the room, and I see the minister at the front. And he has in his hands bread, which he's breaking, and wine, which he's pouring. And he's saying, this is the body and blood of Christ. I thought, aha, this is it. It is the person and sacrifice of Christ Christ that is unifying this whole room. And what he's doing is he's taking the standards that we have, and he's just getting rid of them, and he's given us new standards to build our relationships with. And when you come to that table, you come with your hands empty. You don't have anything to offer Jesus. And yet the Father looks at you and says, come and commune with me, eat with me, because Jesus is enough. And a new standard we have for each other is to look at one another and say, Jesus is enough for you. That's why I can have you in my life. Jesus is enough for you. That's why I can have you in my life. Beautiful, amazing, new standards. Here's the other thing, is that uh, we not only have new standards for uh, building relationship with each other, is that we're a people who are shaped by mercy, This is how uh, James puts it at the end of our reading. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, James is uh, telling his readers that uh, part of the problem with the way they were, with their community and its dynamic and the way the poor were coming in was because there was really no mercy going on. And you couldn't look at another person and say, you know what, they got some problems or some things they're kind of off-putting, but I'm okay with that come on in, right? Everybody had to be you know, uh, perfectly put together. It's kind of a, a button-up community uh, really for, um, for someone to actually kind of belong. And uh, uh, James is telling them, he's like, look, don't you know that the Lord is going to return and he's going to hold you to account? And one of the things he's going to look is like, did you actually show mercy to people? Right? And, and one of the things we confess in the Apostles' Creed uh, every week is that I believe in um, uh, the judgment of the living and the dead, and uh, you know one of the things that God is going to hold us account for is whether we're people who show mercy to others, are are the flaws and the differences of others, uh, things that we can overlook or let kind of roll off our shoulders, and uh, this mercy is is not just a, a feeling, um, it's an actual action of bringing somebody into our community. And our passage ends uh, with the phrase, mercy triumphs over judgment. And uh, that itself is even kind of a triumphant uh, phrase. And uh, we wonder, though, if we're going to be judged by our mercy, will God extend mercy to us in his judgments? And if you uh, think back to what we said earlier about the problem, the deep problem behind favoritism, is it has a level of contempt that takes people's rights away. It says uh, you aren't able to, uh, you, don't, you don't belong in our community because you don't have the rights and privileges that come with belonging in our community. Well, when God judges us, the part of the beauty of it is that he gives the rights of his son to us. All the rights that Jesus has as he stands before his father um, uh, uh, in, in a place of privilege, um, these same rights are extended to us as a church. And so the innocence and, and blamelessness of the Son is also ours. And that the utter delights and affection of the Father towards the Son is now ours as well. Uh, we have also, we, our pastor said, we'll be heirs of the world. and That's because Christ is the heir of the world. He's sharing His power and His uh, government with us. So beautiful things. As we think about as a, as a church, how do we become doers of the law? Um It uh, uh, really comes out of the fact that God has shown his acceptance to us, and out of this, we're able to be doers of the law. So would the Lord make it so? Let's pray. Father, we pray that your spirit would fill us uh, with the love and mercy of Jesus, and we pray that you continue your work in us, um, changing us into his image. We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.